0: survey the wondrous cross On which the Prince of Glory died My richest gain I count Sorrow and love flow mingled down, did e'er such love a crown, oh, the wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross, bids me come and die, and find that I may truly.
1: Our scripture passage for today, which is Good Friday, comes from Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 53, verse 12. And this is one of the greatest passages in all of the scriptures. It's one of its highest peaks. It's holy ground. And our job today is to take off our shoes and and meditate. It's the fourth of the servant songs in the second major section of Isaiah. And in this song, it's a poem, and it's a song with five stanzas. Each stanza has three verses each. And so what we're going to do is look at one of the major themes of each stanza and meditate on how the truth, its truth, could change our life. So stanza one. And the key question to all of these songs is, who is this servant? In each one of these, there's, there's a mystery. And So stanza one, let's look at the contradiction that this servant will display. See, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted, just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man, and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. So the key theme of this first stanza is the mystery The mystery of the mixture. In verse 13, he's one who will be successful. God will raise him up. God will lift him up. He will be greatly exalted. He will be one who demonstrates and displays the Lord's glory. And yet in 14, he'll be rejected. Man will reject him. We will be appalled at him. His appearance will be one that causes revulsion. The word appalled is used for cities that had been decimated in battle. And his appearance was so disfigured that it would make you want to vomit. And here we see that there's this confusing mixture. And there's always this confusing mixture in the lives of the people God has used. And so we tend to think that if God really loved me, then this would never happen. But God's redemptive, wise love in our life is completely compatible with hard times and suffering. You know, Look at another illustration in the Bible of Joseph. So for 20 years, it looks as if everything in his life is going wrong. And then at the end, it seems that in all of that struggle, suffering, sorrow, he was being saved from being proud and stuck up. His brothers were being saved from their own hatred and violence. The family was being saved. The people in Egypt were being saved. And you really can only see the full ramifications of what God was doing about a thousand years in hindsight. So take a moment, pause, and remember, God's redemptive, wise love in your life is compatible with suffering and hard times. Stanza 2. Now here we see the ordinariness that the servant will display. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him. No appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we did not value him. In this stanza, we see that before the servant was beaten to a bloody pulp that would make you want to vomit, there was nothing extraordinary about him. Here we get at the, the prejudice that lies in the heart of every person and is fueling his rejection. In verse 1, the arm of the Lord The Lord's personal presence in personal action has been revealed. It reveals an understanding of the servant can only come through revelation. And then in verse two explains why they rejected him. And Isaiah is universalizing this. This is something we all do, not one specific group. And the reason is he had none of the things that create outward impressiveness. He was not well-built, not impressive, not handsome, no form. That's that phrase, no form that we should admire him. He was not the charismatic extrovert who was the life of the party. What was he? He was a man of sorrows. And this has to be seen in the light of verse 4 and 10. Not that he was a dour killjoy, like a divine Eeyore, but he was a man of sorrows because he bore the sorrows of others. He was a burden bearer. But they esteemed him, or we esteemed him not. This is an accounting word, to assign value. And we said they rejected him because of the ordinariness of his life. And we despise the ordinary. And to see the servant not find any beauty in him is the height of spiritual blindness. It's the ultimate human folly. And yet we all do it. And one of the things this should do to us is humble us about how much we think we can see. You know, we are so proud and deliver our opinions about things in the world with such confidence and certainty. And This certainly. They were completely wrong. They had an opinion about who Jesus was and they were completely wrong wrong. And yet they were so certain, so confident. This past week we've been, Cynthia and I have been re-watching the Jane Austen, Jane Austen's Emma by the BBC, and it just strikes me as how she is so confident in all of her opinions about the world and about other people, and just so happens to be wrong about nearly every one of them. They had clear, strong opinions about who Jesus was, and they were completely wrong. There are many people in our world who have clear, strong opinions about who Jesus was and what the church is and how it's failed in all of these different ways, and it's worth pausing. You might be completely wrong in what you think. Now we move into the third stanza, and this is the substitutionary nature of the servant. This is the heart of the poem. It's the central theme, and it gives the reasons for why he was rejected and despised. And it's four through six. Yet he himself bore our sickness, and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, strucken down by God and afflicted. And he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was upon him, and we are healed by his wounds. We all have gone astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. And here you have to enter in and feel the back and forth between the we and the he, between the he and the us. What did he do? He bore our sickness. He carried our pains. He was pierced. He was crushed. Our iniquity was laid upon him. He was punished. And what did we do? We regarded him as stricken, rejected by God. It's our rebellion, our iniquities, our peace, comes from his wounds. We are healed because of his wounds. We all have gone astray. We all have turned our own way. Our iniquity is laid on him. This is at the very heart of what was happening on the cross. He was being crushed, bruised, broken, so that we could be healed, renewed, made whole. And then in verses 7 through 9, we see the voluntariness Of this death, look at verse seven. The the procession, how he's led out to die. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. And then verse eight is the execution, and it's an abortion of justice, oppression, injustice. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment. And who considered his fate? He was cut off from the land of the living he was struck because of my people's rebellion, not for something that he had done. And then the burial in verse nine, he's taken by the wicked and then buried with the rich. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had not spoken deceitfully. And you see, why would he go through these things? Why would he do them? And Jesus says in John 10, no one's taking my life away. I'm not the hapless victim of injustice. I'm intentionally walking down this path. You know, the wages of sin is death, but he wasn't a sinner. So in reality, he wouldn't have to die. Death had no claim over him. and So he chose this reality. You know, at best, we can choose the circumstances of our death, but we can't choose the reality. It's happening. Why would he do this? Uh, but here in verse 10, it starts the final stanza. And that final stanza about, is about his victory. See, in verse 9, he's dead. He's buried. And then there's this mystery in verse 10 because he can see his days prolonged. He's dead, yet the Lord was pleased to crush him and he made him a guilt offering. And then yet he will see his seed. He will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. How can both of these things be true? How can he be crushed by the Lord, and yet he will see the fruit of that death? In verse 11, after his anguish, he will see light. How? There's no, there's no light after the darkness. There's no light after death. And he will see it, and he'll be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will carry their iniquities. So this death is going to be to accomplish something, to purchase a people, to purify them. And then he's going to see and receive the reward of his suffering. He's going to suffer something unimaginable. And yet, once he passes through it, at the end, there will be light and it will be worth it. Therefore, I will give him the many as a portion and he will receive the mighty as a spoil because he willingly submitted to death and was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of the many and interceded for the rebels. Ten times in this song is a theme of substitution. And this is such a glorious, beautiful truth that we have to both live off of and live out of. We can live off of this because in the eyes of the only one who matters, we can be accepted. He will justify the many. He will carry their sins and forgive them. And we see here that all transforming love is substitutionary by nature. And you know this. I mean, this is something we just intuitively know. You feel it most like in parenting. It's either them or you. And here we see that he died the ultimate death so that we could have the ultimate life. And now all of our living, all of our serving can be small acts of dying to ourselves so others can live because he died to himself so that we may live. So on this day, this Good Friday where we set aside time to meditate on and remember the cross, Our prayer for today is this whole song. So carve out some time today where you just slowly walk through it and pray and praise Him for it.
0: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above. Hey.